Seconds flat. Give me up. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Welcome into mile 88 of the Seconds Flat Podcast. Big episode. And look who I have. From across the country, joining us live on family vacation in California, keeping me up in the wee hours of the morning to break big stories. He's back. Benji, what's good, buddy? Hey, man. I just want to take a brief moment of silence to bow. Okay, you're welcome, Greenville. I am back, (laughs) ready to get into the big news with all of you. It is good to have you back, sweetheart. Well, let's kick it off with the lead story. The reason that I am up in the early, I don't even know what it is. Early a.m., late evening, something. Burrito gate. This is an enormous story in American track and field. One of the finest female runners of her generation the premier 1,500 and 5,000 meter runner in the United States over the past few years, Shelby Houlihan of the Bowerman Track Club has tested positive for PEDs, lost her appeal. She is on a four-year ban, which will carry her through Tokyo this year, as well as the Olympics in Paris four years from now. So this is potentially career ending. She will not be in Eugene next week for all the Olympic trials action. Some other folks won't be as well. We'll get into that more too. Uh, Some familiar names will not be on the line that we expected to see there, but this is the big one, Benji. All right, let's talk burritos, buddy. She says that it came from a tainted burrito. Um, Yes, she did. Before we get into the substance, the track substance, Let's talk just burritos in general. I I think that's really the storyline where people want to go with this. So we're told it was a pork burrito. I'm reading a story that she actually ordered steak. Is this true? Do you have any insight into the, uh, have you spoken with anyone at the food truck? What do you know? You're on that coast right now. So I will say my internet just cut out. So I heard nothing, (laughs) but I'm going to answer anyways. Um, So the official report, there was a claim that it was cross-contaminated from pig organ that they were serving in their pork burritos. Mm. Um, The initial uh, case said that Shelby had consumed a pork burrito. Reading Jonathan Galt's report from Let's Run, uh, the receipt actually said carne asada. They have the receipt? How does she still have the receipt? Exactly. But I guess you could pull up like your bank statement and you could get an itemized list that way. Okay. I I don't know. I actually, I don't think that's correct at all. Now that I say that out loud. I think you may have made that up. Yeah. I think you just get a total charge. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless. I'm I'm sure there's some way with any point of sale 
You can look that ticket up. Okay, so maybe they went to the food truck and got some findings from them. So it might be steak. Now, where would you be on this? Would you get a steak burrito or a pork burrito? What do you prefer? I'm going steak. Steak look at me. I'm iron deficient. I need I, it. So. <laughs> I wish everyone could see right now. Benjamin taking us back probably about 50 episodes. There was a time when... In the old studio, it would be hot. We'd have to turn the AC off because it was so loud. And, and he was drowning in his own sweat and he'd just peel his top off. He has preempted that and come into the interview topless with, I'm going to say that uh, a distinct clavicle exposure uh, oh, thank you. Via, via Zoom. Yeah. It had been covered from my lack of running. <laughs> so I'm glad you can see it again. You've thinned out a touch. You look good. So you go steak. Is steak your number one burrito choice? Absolutely. Okay. I'm a chicken Anything guy. less would be vegetarian. Well, except for the other meats. I, now, just steak. I could go, I do like the pork with like the, uh, the pineapple to it, the al pastor. That's a, I thought maybe that's what she got into. So they're claiming a cross-contaminated burrito. Now, we can make an argument for this because we have seen plenty of star athletes recently go to appeal and win their cases saying that they had contaminated food that elevated levels of banned substances. Like Jerry Lawson is a recent one that I think of. I don't know if he was a burrito. Do you know what he had eaten or what he claimed to have eaten? I do not. Okay. Um, but I do know he only served two years of his four-year ban. His appeal was successful. Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and dive in here, Ben. What's your take? Let's, let's just make our opinions known. Is this Shelby Houlihan burrito eater? Is this Shelby Houlihan drug cheat? Or is it somewhere in the middle? Are you buying the burrito? I, I struggle with this. Yeah, um, I do too. I want, I want it to be the burrito. <laughs> I don't know that it is. I want it to be. Um, and a part of me feels bad because if it had been a Kenyan or Ethiopian runner, I think I would just throw them to the fire and assume they were cheating. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of making me look in myself as to wh why am I letting Shelby get off the hook or giving yeah. her the, the doubt. Um, and I think a lot of American distance running fans are going through the same thing right now. I will say one hole in the case for me uh, is that Christiane Aoti, I believe is her last name. Um, she was actually the one who gave false testimony during Jerry and Lawson's case. Mm. She is the one who flagged Shelby's sample. Mm. So I am concerned uh, just for the validity of the test and that she was given due process. You brought up bunch of great points. I'm going to try to unpack a few of those. One is, uh, I agree. I want it to be the burrito. I also, I just want a burrito now. <laughs> Amen. You want to believe in her. Uh, you want to believe in the emotion that you saw at the press conference from her, from her coaches, from someone like Shalane Flanagan, who we hold in the highest esteem now as a coach with uh, Shelby's team, the Bowerman Track Club. I agree with your comment about how we would respond if this was an East African athlete. 
in large part, I say that because we know there have been serious flaws with the testing regime during COVID in a number of those countries. And there is a real fear that it's been easier to cheat uh, during that time. And that comes with a, a real cultural sensitivity to do we protect our own or do we hold them accountable the way we would someone from, a, from another country? And I'll say that if, if Shelby Houlihan is a drug cheat, then this is a, it's a good day for track and field. Um, Any time that we catch a cheater and I hope that she's not. And if she is, boy, do I, I feel bad and I'm, I'm really disappointed for her. And I think there's some interesting pieces, uh, some dots we might connect. I, I don't know that it's fair, but we have seen some Bowerman Track Club turnover in this time period. And these were December tests, right? Uh, and so that's been six plus months ago. And, and we've seen uh, maybe the most glaring example is Colleen Quigley with her social media presence. Uh, leaving the team. I think she's sponsored now by Lululemon. Is that correct? Did she? Yeah, yeah, which I think is a great thing for the sport. Let's bring outside influences in. Good for her. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and so you start to question, well, it's Nike. We've had other issues with Nike before, you know, not necessarily with this team, but also the thing that makes this difficult for people who are really in tune with the sport is Bowerman Track Club, they spend a lot of time not racing. Yes. They spend a lot of time kind of in the dark. We don't know what's happening with the training. We don't know what's happening so much. With the, they're running time trials rather than races. You know, that, that's, there's been a little bit of pulling the curtain back in recent years, like since Gwen Jorgensen joined the team. And of course, you see now all the, her videos up on, on YouTube and all that stuff. But, but it's still... Uh, it's still relatively unknown, the details of the program. And you want to believe in Jerry Schumacher. And I actually was listening to um, Jonathan Marcus speak recently on how Jerry Schumacher loves to pick runners who come to his program who already have this built-in level of base speed, that that's a key skill he looks for in runners that he wants to coach. And then he wants to build up the other variables, the threshold type work, that stuff that he thinks he's really good at coaching so that they don't have to spend so much time on that high-end sharpening speed. So yeah, if you're going in with that, that's huge. But also, if you are cheating, it's a whole lot easier to keep that high-end speed and work on other stuff. There's two things that we often look at and start to get suspicious about athletes. One is the athlete who doesn't seem like they work out super hard, but they make big gains. And then there's also the athlete who just seems like the El Garouge who works out hard virtually, virtually every day. And we think, how are they recovering? Well, it might be artificial. Man, that's a bold opinion for you. You don't really <laughs> mention a non-doper in a doper conversation. Yeah. Non-caught doper, I should say. Yeah. Well, I, I, I try to be measured and even in this case, we got someone who's now got a four-year ban, and I don't know. Um, it, to me, it feels like the way it felt with Christian Coleman of uh, something, it just seems like something's going on. I, I don't know how you get yourself in this position, but I'm willing to admit I very much could be wrong. I hope, though, a lesson we get, because we just never hear <laughs> the person 
and I understand why, who has done it, who just admits it. Like how many years did it take Lance Armstrong to just come out and say it? Uh, he skewered people for a decade plus who doubted him. And in the meantime, we can, we can compartmentalize and say he did so many other great things, right? He lived strong and all the money they raised and it's wonderful stuff. But one of the great lessons of sport is responsibility for your action. When you and I inevitably duel in some races here coming up soon, uh, we're going to get to the line and we're going to have to look, ourselves, uh, look at ourselves afterward and say, that guy was just better than me that day. I didn't do the work no, I needed to do it. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I, I think I, there may have been some, some static. I believe that you said uh, that you, in fact, will have to do that. Is that what you said? <laughs> okay. We'll just we'll let the results speak for themselves. Let's try to advance this. Thoughts on what's the, what this means for these events at the trials and at the Olympics. Uh, wh what does this mean for American mid-distance and distance running females? Absolutely. So it opens the door in the 15. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we have someone outside of El Perrier who is yeah. feels like a lock. I think it's her race to lose. I agree with you. Um, do you think she is considering a double at this point? That's a great question. I don't know the schedule. Um, would she have run the 15 final before the five? Do you know? Mm, gosh, I wish I had the schedule in front of me. Because if she did that, I think it would be foolish not to do it, or at least declare for it. Right, because you're suggesting then for the casual observer that if she could run the 15 final, assure her place in the Olympic Games, she could then potentially come back and run the 5,000 afterward. So let's see. I, I do think the 5,000 is too deep for her to do that before the 15 final. We have so many no-named sub-15 women this year. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's just a deep race. Um, you're going to have like a Josette Norris there with 200 meters to go. And if I said that name three months ago, you'd be yeah. like, oh, Robbie Andrews' wife. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have meant nothing to almost everyone. Let's put a pin in the trials for a minute. Um, I'm going to come back to it. But I, I just want to point out one thing because of what you just said. NCAA track championships for this past weekend. And, you know, we could dive into a bunch of different races and, and maybe we'll do that later if you'd like to. But my single biggest takeaway is the quality depth of collegiate running right now. My goodness. Uh, who stuck out to you? Because, I mean, there's, there's just so many. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Patrick Deaver in that 10K. Yeah. Breaking the NCAA meet record by 20 seconds. He was not the top-ranked individual coming into that race. I want to give a shout of praise to his coaches who five years after Mark Scott won the same title, mm -hmm. they were able to develop another athlete and prove their program was not a fluke. That's Tulsa, Golden Hurricane. And we all know that it's former run-in employee Ryan Root's everlasting impression that inspired Deaver to such great heights while he was coaching there, but... That was, what, two stops ago for Ryan? But you can still feel his legacy. Yeah. Also in the same race, freshman Charlie Hicks from Stanford, uh, mm -hmm. running sub-28 minutes, number two all-time at Stanford behind the Chris Derrick. Uh, I think he's the one to watch from that race going forward. 
I should have known you would be gone for 30 episodes and come back and mention Chris Derrick. Of course. He's yeah. the I, let's go back to the trials for a minute. I actually have the schedule up now. The 1500 final, uh, this would be, this is on Monday the 21st. On Monday the 21st, the 1500 women's finals at 5.05 p.m. Pacific. The 5000 meter women's finals at 5.40 Pacific that night. You have uh, nothing to lose. You can yeah. step off the track. You've got your spot on the team or you're balling out trying to go for it. Yeah, so that's, that, that is an interesting situation. We don't have prelims for the 5,000 at the trials, right? They do. They, yeah, they do have a first-round women's 5,000. Uh, it's at almost the same time on Friday, the, the very first day of running. So uh, it makes it a little more challenging. You're right, that 1,500 is going to be wide open. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, let's talk about a few other people who are not going to be there who we're really used to seeing. One is Molly Huddle. Yeah. Uh, this feels like a really somber end of an era for Molly Huddle, multiple time U.S. champion. Golly, yeah. And a few years ago, we talked in one of our maybe a London preview episode, we talked about Molly Huddle transitioning to the marathon and could she become. In, in a deep American field, the best yet. And it just never really panned out. And now going back to the track, uh, she's potentially at a point in her career where this may be the last shot at the Olympics. Uh, Evan Yeager won't be there. We know he's had injury issues. Did you she watch had... his video on Instagram? I did not. What did he say? I, I haven't watched it. He posted about 30 minutes of video. Um, and from what I saw basically of spark notes, it was that in order to be ready uh, for the trials, he was basically going to have to injure his Achilles. Yeah. Um, just the different training and movements he'd have to do for the nature of the steeplechase. Um, he was risking almost certainty <laughs> of being injured. Yeah. And it's sad because that was, um, a runner a few years ago who was preeminent on the global stage. Yeah, he got a silver at the last Olympics, right? So. so, you know, you're talking about a guy who has sub eight minute potential at that distance. Shannon Roberry won't be there. Probably you would su suspect for her also the end of the road as an Olympian. So her plan was to retire after the 2020 trials. So it does seem like this would be the way. She has a young daughter. So I, she's had a great career. There's oh. nothing wrong with pursuing family and transitioning to that. And I'm sure she'll do great at it. Yeah, she's been phenomenal. And, and that's why we're bringing these uh, men and women up, not to critique their inability to be ready to get on the line, but more as a celebration of what they've done for so many years and what they've meant to the sport and meant to guys like you and I who have watched it for so long. Let's, let's transition to maybe something a little bit more, well, I think it's uplifting uh, because I survived it. Yeah, you did. Big man. So people paying attention here and on Strava know that you and I have been in some, some friendly banter lately on some competition. And I've been trying to get motivated with just some different challenges here. You know, we've come through a, a year plus of abnormal or absence of racing, depending on your situation. 
And I've felt an itch. You know, we did an episode a few weeks back about Cosmo and I making the trip to Toledo for the Glass City Marathon. And it was a, a less than satisfying finish time, at least for me. It was a great experience. And, and I, you know, like all of us who are competitive, quickly signed up for my next marathon, but also realized I need to get some different challenges in between and not rush this process and not continue to chase PRs in the same couple of events that I've been locked into for the past few years. So maybe, gosh, two weeks ago, I'm not even sure when this idea came up. It had been mentioned to me as uh, one of our, our younger co-workers had mentioned about running the mo- number of miles for the age on a birthday. And there was some mocking of, boy, if I did it, I'd be out there for a long time because I'm an old man, apparently. I left Greenville a couple of weeks ago to travel uh, north to be with family and stopped at one of our favorite spots, DuPont, to get to that long 16 mile long loop that's just hilly as heck. And I got there and I decided I'm just ripping this thing. I'm running it as hard as I can. And I, it's just gonna be a suffer fest. And the suffering began at like mile two. But <laughs> <laughs> I, at some point, just gasping for air, I found some uh, clarity of thought on an idea that I thought would be really fun to shoot for, let's do 38 miles for the 38th birthday. Oh my gosh, you're 38 years old. I know. You always thought I was older, didn't you? God, I'm thinking at least 47. This is really great for your age. Stop it. Looking like a young Percy Soretti. Oh my gosh. I, I thought you told me I look more like Herb Elliott. Well, as you're getting up in years, it's looking yeah, a more like Percy. That's true. As I go gray and bald. You know, there is an old sports illustrated cover with her belly on it from late 50s when he was in that stretch where nobody could beat him in the mile just that, in blue shorts right yes he's in blue shorts running up the sand and we had a copy of it in the uh, counter there at work for a long time and i had multiple customers ask me if it was me on the cover it uh, looks just like you. It, it does look like me now you know it's, it's a magazine from the 50s i'm not quite that old but 38 for 38. I said, let's go for it. I was greeted by Dew Point in the 70s on a sultry day. And my original intent was to just run it. And then I had a couple conversations in like the day or two before with a few different people about, are you going to try to run fast? I thought, well, I don't know. I've never run this far. I'm not an ultra guy. Like what, how many miles did you get in last year at the uh, ultra out at TR? I got in 43 miles. 43 miles. Yeah. Uh, Of course we have folks who listen who, uh, and and guests we've had like Shannon Howe who are real ultra runners. And I only have more respect for those folks now uh, after my experience. But I thought, you know what, we'll kind of see how we feel. And if it goes well, maybe I'll, I'll try to run hard. But the biggest takeaway for me from this experience was the ability to, to share it with family. Part of the reason that I have spent so much time doing these episodes with you and Cosmo and our guests from a remote location rather than in person is, uh, you know, for the past year, we've had a, uh, a, an illness in the family. To be able to have uh, my mom and my uncle out passing the bottles to me 
encouraging me being part of this was, it, it was so special. And I, I keep a postcard in my, in my bedroom that has a quote from Roger Bannister uh, about how the human spirit is indomitable and no one can tell you, you can't jump higher or run faster than this, this, or this. So I thought, let's go run farther, and then let's see if we can, we can do that faster. I, I set out pretty slow. Uh, you left a nice, cute comment on one of my Strava logs uh, about uh, I had gone out for a few miles at like 8.30 pace, just trying to find that opening pace where I would start it off. And I started off there probably for about the first hour, worked it down a little bit. I had a bottle at mile 14. And I, I had worked down now to like seven minute pace by mile 14 and just gradually gotten there. A nice gentle progression felt really good. And I thought, you know what? Uh, I'm not turning 38 again. And I don't know that I'm ever going to do this at 39, 40 or any year after that. Uh, let's take a shot. Let's just see how fast I can run. And it became a kind of epic, emotional, spiritual event over, I guess, what was the, the, the marathon that I still had left <laughs> at, at mile 14. You know, I, I spent time thinking about how excited I am that you and I have had this little friendly competition going on this summer, that I've gotten to see you excited and inspired, putting workouts in, putting mileage in, excited about your running again. I, I think about the, the folks who listen. There's a there's a little group of people who are really devoted to listening to this show and we're so thankful for them. And, you know, I, I thought about getting able to, being able to tell this story here to them, how fun that would be. You know, we've always hoped that this podcast would be a place where you could find some hope and a little bit of those good things that we could tell good stories. We could laugh together. We could share our love and passion for the sport and, You've always been great at that, Benji. Uh, you know. Well, thank you. Yeah, buddy. I mean, you just, you always make me want to watch the next race. You make me want to care a little bit more about the sport. And we've just hoped here that we could learn and inspire and live life together, you and I and now Cosmo and, and with all the people who listen. And I got to 26 and I was just winding it down and my uncle got out of his car to hand me a bottle and just made a comment about, wow, you're really, you're really ripping it now. And I hadn't been looking at the watch much, but I realized I was coming down near six minute pace on some of these miles. And I had set this course up so that most of the hills were early. And that once I got to 26 at that bottle, I had one pretty good climb left. And it was a pretty hilly course I had, but I had a lot of downhill coming from there. I said, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just going to give it a shot from here and just see how fast I can run this last 12. And at this point, it's getting hot <laughs> and the sun's beating down on me. And, and I got to that last climb and, and I, I, I had a, a very specific thought in that moment of now almost 30 miles deep on a climb in the heat, thinking how hard it was. Also thinking to myself, just, this is running as the metaphor for life. I mean, do, do you have an example from your running career where you're, you're in that place where it's just hard, but you know you can get to the top of that climb? Thank you, Miley Cyrus. 
and get over that and attack the next one. Do you, do you have one of those you think of, bud? Definitely. Um, the Grandfather Mountain Marathon, mm. which was my first marathon. And it was my, honestly, it was my first run after taking two months off after quitting my collegiate team entirely uphill. So the entire thing was a climb. But the way like I relate it to a metaphor for life is I struggled the entire time. I reached the top. I thought I had a half lap on the track left. It was a full lap. So I cried while I was taking that lap. And it was hard. There was never a good point for me. But I finished and I had so much gratitude for that struggle and that I knew I had done it. And I think that's the parallel with life is where most things we do probably aren't going to feel good or comfortable, but the fact we do them uh, gives them value and gives us strength. So that's my parallel. That's beautiful, bud. I, I remember that well when you <laughs> thought you had just a little bit left and had to do that full lap. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> You're right. We find out something about ourselves when we're challenged. It can be really hard. I was shocked by how good I felt that whole day. I'm not going to tell anybody that 38 miles is easy if you haven't done it because it's probably not. I, I think maybe a bit of it was just how slow I went out. It really changed my perspective on marathoning because now I'm going to look at marathoning and think, well, I've gone another half marathon beyond this. But it also just reinforced to me how you can close if you set the early part of your race up right. Uh, because that's what I was able to think it when I decided at 14 that I was going to take a little bit of a shot. I thought to myself, well, I've run pretty easy. I have less than a marathon left. I've done this distance hard before. But yeah, that climb at 30, and I just felt that incredible parallel for life, our, our, just our story, our experience, our existence. I thought about that, that was the one moment where I had a little pain in this. I had a little hamstring started to to, to flare up on me. And it just, I thought to myself how we, in life, we, we sometimes we hurt ourselves like we do in running. And sometimes, unfortunately, we hurt each other. But we have these opportunities for redemption and for beauty and healing and joy. Gosh, I just felt like in the course of uh, ultimately four hours, 18 minutes and 30-ish seconds of running that I went through that, uh, that I, I found places where ah, I'm in a valley, but I can redeem this. Uh, something great's going to happen. I'm going to find joy in this. I'm going to find beauty in just endless country roads. It, it was just surreal. And then I honestly believe, Ben, the last mile of those 38 is the best accomplishment I've had in my entire running career. I might agree with you. I don't know like, where it came from. Uh, you know, I was progressing pretty hard, but there's a, a kind of rural highway I had to cross to get back into town. And I had a little bit of downhill. So it was a little, little cheat here. It was kind of a, it was somewhat of a burrito mile. I had a little pork in No burrito. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little, one little turn and a downhill to the track at the school to finish. And when I crossed that highway, I had to kind of jog into it because there were two cars coming. And I looked at my watch and I had not been splitting my watch. And I saw I was spot on 37 miles when I got there. And oh. so I just, I clicked the, I clicked the watch and thought, 
let's just see what I can do the last one in. Let's just hammer. I don't pretend to be elite. And I know there's plenty of real ultra runners who could close this a whole lot better than me. But I, I think I was coming, I mean, I was running probably 10K pace, maybe faster to close. Came in at 524 for the 38th mile to bring the average. I think that brought it down under 650. I was ecstatic with it, man. And so I'm excited that you're here to talk about it because I felt like I shared a lot of that with you because of the, the motivation you've given me uh, doing something different here this summer. And uh, we hope to inspire people on the show and you and Cosmo as my co-host keep inspiring me. That's for sure. So I do want to raise uh, maybe as a point of inspiration. When I first met you, mm -hmm. you had broken three hours in the marathon twice maybe three times at that point you're like 53 guy yeah so uh my I, I think my marathon progression i think my first one out was like 307 that was just on mileage i'm not even sure i was working out it was kind of when i just got back into running uh, i had I had a little break uh, you know ran while i was in grad school and then when i got out i took a break from it so i went 307 and then i went three flat and then, yeah, I had gone like, I jumped to maybe like 252. And I had run a couple in that range when, when we first met. Yeah. And I, I say that because you are, you're humble. And that is not that that's a weakness of yours, but I want people to realize that you are someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of talent. And I, I don't say that to tear you down at all. Um, you, by your own announcement, would say, that you were not even good in scholastic running when you were in high school, mm -hmm. but you're someone who's put in the work and loved the sport and reaped the benefits of committing to a lifestyle conducive of achieving your goals. And I think we have a lot of people here that have those same dreams. And I just want them to know that it is possible. And if you fully commit yourself to a goal, you're a testament to that. I mean, I look up to you in that regard. I have, unfinished goals myself in the sport and seeing you run this 38 miler and closing your last marathon and faster than in the marathon I met you being your best at. It's truly inspiring to me. Yeah. I, I just want people to realize that if you commit yourself to a goal, you can do it. Yeah. Thanks, Benji. Uh, you're right. When I look back, I, I think I closed in a 250 something marathon, maybe the last 26 miles of this. Uh, which is just wild to me looking back when you say it the way that you did. But right, it, it's, it's not about me. It's about just how much one can accomplish with a consistent long-term view. Yeah, I, I was at the park this morning. There was a high school soccer team running. I think maybe the best part of this whole experience for me is I took one day off, swam one day, and was able to run a few miles then the day after that. And then, you know, today I've been back pretty normal. I just can't believe I'm not more beat up uh, oh. after this. But I was running, ran an hour or so this morning. There was a high school soccer team at the park. And there was a, uh, a kid in the back of the pack who maybe didn't look quite as athletic as the other guys he was fighting it. He's holding his rib cage, probably cramping up and just trying to shuffle along. 
And they were probably, I had seen them warming up my first time around the loop. So they had probably been going for about a mile at this point. And uh, you could tell he was just in a pain cave. <laughs> and I just said to him, keep it up. You look great. And he didn't look great. <laughs> but you wanted to encourage, because I remember being told, and I think I've mentioned this once here on the program, when I was in, I guess it was seventh grade track, and I ran an eight-minute mile all out, eight-minute mile, and I was almost exactly two minutes a lap. And coach said to me, the phys ed coach said, uh, great job, you were so consistent. Yeah, it was true, I was. It wasn't consistently good, but one, it made me feel good about the experience. I came back to running throughout my life having had a positive experience because of that. Two, it said something about being consistent. And you mentioned there, it's about living a lifestyle. Everyone would love to be a great marathoner. Everybody would love to run a super fast 5K or uh, break four in a mile or run the 100 meters like Bolt. But the life is different than the lifestyle. The lifestyle is what happens every single day, every time you get out of bed, every time you get out on the trail or on the track or on the road. And it's not pretty, and it, it takes all kinds of dedication. And while I mostly enjoy it, there might be some times where it's tough, even for me, even for a guy who talks about running for his life. But that commitment pays off. Not every day is going to be the best. Not every race is going to be the best. I can look back at just a couple months ago, one that disappointed me. But boy, that day, when I finished those 38 miles, I felt like, shoot, I, I've, I've done something good today. That's the feeling that we hope everybody gets. So I think a struggle that a lot of people have with that lifestyle decision is knowing their why. Mm -hmm. um, I've certainly struggled with that myself. And currently, um, and in the future, we'll have some exciting news to share about an update on my life um, and my return to running. Mm -hmm. um, but something that motivates me is the weight I have on my shoulders of the community around me. Um, and being that example. So I'm interested as someone who's been doing this for years. Uh, what is your why? What is keeping you pursuing that and getting you out the door? Like you're the 38 mile madman now. <laughs> I hope that's a nickname we start using. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, boy. You know, I've always just loved sport in all its forms. When I started, when I first got back into this, there was a little bit about proving to myself that I could be good at something. Uh, having felt like, oh, I, I played sports growing up, played every sport. I was never great at any of them. But that always kind of stuck with me. I felt like I had something to prove. But I don't think that's the way you develop a lifetime of why and a lifetime of success and consistency. And so I look at a couple things. One is I, I do truly enjoy this and, and love it. And so that makes it easier for me to get out there. But a, a much bigger thing is the perspective I have on running in general now. There's a way that I feel that I believe others share with me. When our bodies are in motion and we're challenging ourselves, especially maybe on a day when the the scenery's nice and the weather's great. But regardless, 
I don't know that there's anything more fully human that we go through. The emotions that that draws, the mental games of thinking, can I keep pushing? Have I reached a limit? How many times has every one of us worked super hard? Let's say it's the end of a 5K. You're just out there pounding and you're willing to say, maybe I've done enough. Maybe I can cruise this in, but then you don't. What about the times when you didn't? The times when you pushed a little more, pushed a little harder and a little farther. And what did that do for the next time? And those are the stepping stones that allow us to be successful runners. And I think translate to being successful people. But I'd like to just zoom back in to that moment when your heart's racing and you're gasping for air and you're pressing your body to its limits. What is more fully human than that experience? That becomes my why. That might be um, a touch philosophical <laughs> for, for most. Maybe for others, it's to lose weight, to get healthy, for family. I look forward to sharing the uh, article that I've written for this weekend for Father's Day. That, that's a, a huge piece of the why for me, uh, a relationship that I had with my grandfather who's passed, the relationship I have with my dad who's still here, what they meant and mean to me, and the experiences in running that they've shared with me. But yeah, that sensation in your body when you work so, so hard. And then for a moment like this 38 miles when I finished and Oh boy, I was, I was in pain for a little while there, but just also experiencing such incredible jubilation, um, such wholeness. This is a thought also, Ben, I'm glad we brought this up. I know that I've kind of gotten a little emotional here, yeah. uh, but I appreciate you bringing this up because one of, the, one of the things that I thought about very sincerely during the early miles of that run was, you know, we, we talked at the beginning of this year on one of our episodes uh, when we brought out the new intro music and the new logo and the YouTube videos and all that stuff. And one of the things we talked about was um, a social media presence. And we have largely not gone there uh, yet. And that's part of a, a very real internal debate that I'm having about what modern society is doing to uh, human interaction, human anxiety. I don't mean that in a way that I think it's all bad, but I, I do want to balance it with the purity of going out and running. Now think about when in your day is life at its best. I, I can't remember a time when that's involved me looking at my phone. And so I was spending those early miles weighing, okay, if we're going to have this online presence, how do we do it? How do we do it in a way that values real human interaction? And how do we do it in a way that also values people, not clicks, not likes? That's hard. It's hard in our world. And I realize that I'm a dinosaur. Uh, but I think those are really important discussions. And I think we find those, the release from anxiety, the release from pressure, the release from expectations so often when we're out running. And that can be a wonderful why for people as well. I do have a lighthearted question. And Please. Keeping it 
running focused, mm-hmm. 38 miles. What are the three things you learned or the 3.8 things <laughs> for your 38th birthday that you learned? Yeah. Whew. One is, uh, I, I, I did realize some, as far as uh, my running and, and how I completed the event, something about some hydration strategy. I, I was really high in stuff with like electrolytes and amino acids. And I didn't take many carbs. And I thought because I was running so slow, especially early, that that would be the right approach. I didn't feel like I needed um, a bunch of gels or anything. So I actually only, I don't want to be wrong here. It might've been two, but I think I only took one gel uh, for that time. And I was fortunate enough to have bottles waiting for me from family members at miles 7, 14, 21, 26, 31, 36. We actually added one right before the end. There was a place we could get to uh, with a little cold water. Because at this point, my bottles that I had set out and given them earlier on are no longer cold. And even just to have water now, not something with electrolytes, just to pour on me and cool me off was significant at that point. So that, that was a really big one working through hydration strategy when running at different paces, I think is a really interesting and neat thing. Reference this earlier, but I'll reinforce the significance of pacing for a marathon. Just knowing that it feels so much better when you run those fast miles at the end. And you can't always do it when you're trying to run your fastest. Um, And it might even be that you have to be more of an even split, but it just reminded me of, okay, I got to be, I got to be better about those first, just even just the first three or four miles in a marathon. If I can, if I can maybe make the marathon be better at making it a 20 mile race, what can I do? Um, And just reminding ourselves that now I wouldn't go out and eat 30 like I did for this, but if I do give back a few seconds, if I give back 10, 15, 20 seconds per mile, I can get it back at the end if I do this right. So, so that was definitely a lesson. And uh, was there that confidence taken away from that fast last mile. That uh, was like, if I start out easier in a marathon, that's in my arsenal. If I need to bring it out, yes. I know I've done this. Right. I don't know that I... I'm going to have some 520 something close, but I, I do know that I can run really hard at the end. And third thing is that I guess um, even after a discussion last week with Cosmo about um, summer running and running shirtless, based on some commentary that you sent me, I guess I might start running topless more uh, because you were such a sweetheart and told me how cute I looked. And it just made me feel like this 38 year old man still got a little bit in the tank. So Quite impressive. <laughs> Stop it. His <laughs> gold from marble, as you would say. <laughs> um, yeah, a serious third one, though, is you're, it's not something you learn, but you're just reminded of the value of the people in your life. Family is a word that we often mean to take as our nuclear family. Um, but it's, it's so many more people than that. It's the people that inspired me to do this. It's the people I was able to share it with afterward. Uh, it's the people who are so encouraging, enthusiastic. You know, I, I, uh, I'm just so grateful, so grateful for, for those people. They make this in a whole lot more really worthwhile. What shoes did you have on? 
Yeah, so uh, that was the one stop I made was a shoe switch. I actually switched shorts at mile 21 also because I was just sweating so much. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I uh, I wrapped up in a towel like I was at the uh, like I was poolside, and uh, I because I, I started to worry about with just how sweaty I was, like chafing, getting really bad, and uh, so I switched. I actually those first twenty one miles wore an Alpha Fly because I just thought it would be a lot of cushion. It is, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and so I then switched into, when I, when I realized, oh, I think I can run fast now, I actually switched into an old pair of vapor flies just to get something a little lighter, turnover a little quicker. It was pretty beat up. There wasn't much cushion to it. That's one I've raced in quite a few times for marathons, but uh, still felt good. So I do have a question for you on the vapor fly as yep. a uh, shoe fanatic. Yep. Uh, you say it's an old pair. Mm-hmm. Uh, we read on message forums and reviews that that shoe is a hundred mile racing shoe. Mm-hmm. Like you only get a hundred miles of lifespan. Not that it's specific to the hundred mile race distance. Right. Right. Uh, how many miles do you have on that shoe? And does that shoe have utility beyond that hundred mile mark in your opinion? Yeah. So I think the hundred mile mark might have been true of the original, like 4%. The next percents I've seen more life to. I took another one that I had raced in a bunch and just started using it for some workouts last fall because I wanted to a degree test your hypothesis. And I went well over 200 miles with it feeling like a really good workout shoe. This one that I ran in, I'm going to guess it's got a few marathons on it. It's probably getting close to 200 miles. And I still felt like I could have raced in it if I needed to. But, you know, if you have a new one, you're, you're going to go to that. So, yeah. And I also think that Alpha Fly, I only use that for long runs just because it's cushy. So my average long run average, you know, because I'm doing anywhere from like 16 to 24, maybe at the most miles on a long run, with the exception of this 38 miler, 18 to 20 miles is probably average on a long run. So I bet that shoe ha- already has 250 miles on it. And that still feels a lot like it did to begin with. The reason I don't race in it is just a little harder to turn over in, but I can really see the utility in a long, long run like this of going with the Alpha Fly. I did notice the presence of the Alpha Fly when I was observing the JFK 50 miler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much of it is on the packed CNO canal and then rolling hills on roads. Um, and it's just a high cushion shoe. Furthering our discussion about the vapor fly. Yep. Uh, for the uninitiated to the carbon fiber world, it's hard to tell when a shoe like that is wearing out or when you need to replace it. In your experience, what are those signs that people should look for? For me, with, a, with any of the Nike stuff, because it's so soft, it's when I can really start to feel the plate underneath me when that shoe just gets hard, that to me, now that doesn't necessarily mean it's dead because some people can really run on the hard stuff, but that's when I notice it. If you were to pick like the Hoka, it's, it's firmer to begin with and it's got that really aggressive rock. And so you might start to feel a little bit that way with the Nike stuff, but that's it to me when it just starts to feel really hard. And and I don't like to wear the stuff with the carbon fiber plate in it a ton because it limits your natural range of motion in your foot. And so that's what I notice when it gets really, really hard and I'm going through that, I can start to feel a little bit more painful. Uh, that's great advice for me as I just ordered uh, the Hayward Field 
uh, colorway of the Vaporfly from Run In. Oh yeah, buddy. I've yet to run in that shoe. I've had the Endorphin Pro. Yeah, uh, great shoe. He felt just very flat when I wore it out. Yeah. Um, running the Freedom, and I felt it was a very similar wear mm-hmm. uh, when I got through the shoes. So that's great insight. Thank you. Yeah, buddy. Well, uh, let's uh, I guess wrap it up here. This has been this has been fun, but uh, I know we're we've been going at it for a long time here now. Yeah, it's uh, night. It's, it, is, it is now a new day on the East Coast. So next time, I, I think we already have a topic set because I am headed out for a 7,000-ish mile road trip across the country, run all kinds of places, but headed to the Olympic trials. So excited to get to see our guy, James Quattlebaum, compete in the 3,000-meter steeplechase and to see uh, all the other fantastic athletes. So I'm sure I will have some stories from the road when I return. Benji, it was great to have you back for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. We will do it again soon, bud. We will be talking Olympics here. uh, And I know that we will have you on. And then, of course, we have our as-yet-to-be-determined duel in the sun, but the latest iteration is potentially a marathon, beer mile, and hammer throw, (laughs) which uh, that could get dangerous. I would say two out of three of those favor you. I agree. (laughs) I I would agree. But there's a chance the one that doesn't could potentially just end my life. So (laughs) we'll see. Expect any racing from you. in the near time future. Ah, I you were, I, I did not start at the downville mile. <laughs> pointed about. Well, I did wake up at three the next morning to begin my pursuit of, of 38 miles. So yeah, that, I, I, I passed on the downville. I would say, don't put it past me. I am, I, I'm in a period of consideration uh, for, a, for a next race. I got some things I'm eyeing that I would like to do something different again. So yeah, it's coming, baby. All right. This has been mile 88 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, please contact us with comments, questions, show ideas, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Check out the videos, Seconds Flat by Run In on YouTube. We got some new stuff up uh, recently. The, uh, we did do that down, a Downville Mile preview, which looked really cool. Uh, but had the street uh, racing in the middle of that video. Yeah, the, there was uh, some sort of uh, dragster that pulled out in front of us. So uh, that was kind of wild. And then uh, we got the uh, shoelacing video that was just out with some good ideas, uh, maybe some little hints to help you have a more comfortable ride next time you're out running. So check all that stuff out. And we look forward to seeing you in probably a couple weeks. I don't know how long I'm going to be on the road. But in probably a couple weeks for mile 89, we will see you then. Benji, good night, my friend. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, sir. Bye. There it is.